Hey guys, it's your favorite rule breaker, Brandon, here along with our redhead, here to talk about this month's PSA featuring the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which can be reached at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Now here's our redhead with some more insightful information about mental health and suicide awareness. Hi everyone. Yeah, I just have some additional facts about suicide in the U.S. And these are some statistics that were presented by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and they're based on 2018 statistics. In 2018, the average adjusted suicide rate was 14.2 persons per 100,000. And the rate of suicide is highest in middle-aged white men. And in 2018, men died by suicide 3.56 times more often than women. On average, there are 132 suicides per day. White males accounted for 69.7% of suicide deaths in 2018 and firearms accounted for 50.57% of all suicide deaths. So those are some, some really staggering statistics regarding suicide. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline can also be reached via text by texting the word TALK, T-A-L-K, to 741-741. That's TALK, T-A-L-K, to 741-741. Remember, your redhead and myself are always available to speak with you should you need anyone to reach out to where we can help guide you to the right resources. Until next time, we'll see you on another episode of The Real Solution Podcast. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Real Solution Podcast. Woohoo! Hey. Woo-hoo. <laughs> uh, it's your boy Brandon. I'm here with our lovely red head. We are so excited to yet again be having the real conversations. I wish somebody would give me somebody else to talk to because this one over here is the best um sure 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 way out of his league out of my league out of my (laughs) age range whatever you want to say no i'm just kidding but no it's a pleasure (laughs) and now the snow job starts wow well how are you doing today dearest I'm doing just wonderfully, and yourself? You know, grand as always. You know, well, I am the rule breaker. That's what I do. That, that's that's my new name, by the way. It's my new stage name, as FYI. You know, I go by the rule breaker now. So I just call you RB for short. <laughs> I mean, that works, you know, and if anybody asks, oh, it stands for rule breaker. You know, it's fine. <laughs> you know, I got to have my stage name, so when I start, you know, when I make it big, when everybody hear this and I made it big. <laughs> Oh, yeah, there I know. Go. Everybody <laughs> got to have dreams. Listen, dreams, <laughs> hopes, wishes, whatever you want to call them. Just somebody else to talk to. <laughs> See, and with that, that is exactly why I'm interviewing for new host myself. <laughs> I will not take this slander. You begged for it. I don't know why you keep telling the world that lie. I don't know no such thing. Well, you know, those who scream the loudest are trying to hide something. I don't scream. I whimper. <laughs> Thank you. How dare you? Those who whimper the longest. <laughs> that too. Yeah, my my nephew hits me with a whimper, and I mean, 
for someone who's not even six months old, I'm like, I'm sick of him. Like, I mean, whole bottom lip and whimper, like the stuff you see in the movies. And I'm like, babies don't really do that. They're just dramatic. No, he hits me with a whimper, and I'm like, nope. Can't do and it. you melt. I don't <laughs> melt. I'm like, whatever it is you need to communicate, use your words. <laughs> and then I walk away. That's his mother's problem. <laughs> hmm, sounds like a little jealousy in the baby I, section listen, there. <laughs> I can't be. He can't drink. He can't go on vacation. He can't get up and leave when he wants to. I'm not jealous of him. He can stay right where he's at. I have to not say that too loud because his grandmother is in the other room and she'd be very angry <laughs> if she hears me say that about him. <laughs> She'll come in here. Don't you talk about my grandbaby? <laughs> I, I I got her. I know exactly what she'd say. I'm sick of it. See, this is why. <laughs> oh my gosh, she had the audacity to be like, "I can't wait for Grandparents' Day," and I'm like, "Who are you? Who does that? Uh, Don't tell me that." Ridiculous. I'm over it. Throw the whole baby away. I need a new one. You just. You just. You just. Hmm. I need a new one. This one is broken. <laughs> You know, your mom is probably going, ah, finally, a new one. The other one's broken. Yeah, she probably did. <laughs> she probably did. You're not wrong. I don't have to take this torture. Moving on. <laughs> Today. You get what you ask for. I, listen, you know what? I'm going to be a good person. <laughs> Today. <laughs> We are finalizing our racialized series. Uh, this has been really great, you know, with the state of the world and the way things were grow- growing, going. Um, <laughs> we felt they need the need- to grow. <laughs> I will never grow up. <laughs> we, Don't we know that? See, look, I, this is why I need new co-hosts because this one just mistreats me. <laughs> The truth is not mistreatment. <laughs> we have thoroughly, thoroughly. See, I can't even talk today. I need the new co-host and producer. Wow. You know what? I hope you find him. <laughs> we, um, seriously, we have thoroughly enjoyed having these conversations. And so we um, felt that we would end on... Another fantastic episode of Real World Review, where we Woo-hoo! take where we take um, something mainstream pop culture, blase, blase, blase. Still ain't worked out how to describe it yet, and we really break it down and discuss everything that comes with it. And of course, we tie it into whatever series of conversations that we're having. Now, of course, with this racialized series, we've covered, of course, race. We've covered everything in between with the definitions and all the words that go into discrimination and um, judgment and, and prejudice. And we've broken down, you know, some of these ideologies behind defunding. And we, we've really covered a lot of information. Um, and so we wanted to really end... Um, with this real world review where we'll actually be covering the Netflix original um, American Sun um, because that truly um, for a lot of individuals in the country um, interracial marriages and, and the families that come from them past present and you know the future um, they're in between 
a lot of the issues we've talked about in this series. So right. we felt it very important to um, document and cover this and, and really try to break it down. And hopefully we can have the conversation again with some interracial couples um, who might understand or be able to facilitate some more conversation regarding the conversations behind race and racial justice and everything that goes, you know, in between that, you know, being in these relationships. I mean, these are everyday lives. These are people's lives, you know, and they're loving and they produce children sometimes. And you have to think about the history of that. You know, there were a lot of different options we could have done. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with my little redhead, my little evil, you know, that little evil devil that be on your left shoulder. That's what you are. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know if you're familiar with the loving, uh, film that has, I think it's, no, it's just one film. Um, I think they've made a couple specials after that, but you know, the loving film talks about the, um, landmark case. Uh, and, and I don't have all the details cause I haven't watched it yet, but you know, obviously I remember from, you know, it circulating how that was like a pivotal time in history when it regards this interracial couple and everything that they fought for because they loved each other um there was um another film um, that you and i discussed um it was actually a documentary series about um rachel dolezal and of course that one's not about like the loving romantic part but that still covers you know racial identity um and we'll probably end up talking about that still um, so there's a lot of things that comes with this. So I, I think this was a great way for us to end and really talk about it, especially um, as we finish this series, um, because you're going to meet people who who may not be able to have this kind of conversation or not even maybe where to begin. But it's so internalized in so many different ways. And it's important for us to kind of talk about them and break them down. Well, it's also, when you watch the movie, although, you know, it's a movie, it's a place to start because if we don't learn how to get past a lot of this stuff, we're never going to have a unified country. And not that I'm saying that everybody is going to play into this to build this but you have to get the majority of the country on the same page and we are not there right now yeah you're definitely correct you've got to get people you know on the same playing field you know but people also gonna have to do their part and not listen to respond but listen to understand and comprehend I, I don't think people realize how important that is or exactly what it means but it's evident when you have certain conversations with individuals they've already made up their mind they're not even attempting to understand or comprehend what is being received on that opposite side they've already made up their mind of they're saying this and i already know what my next statement's going to be and and that defeats the purpose of the conversation in which we try to facilitate and, you know, I don't argue. So I'm just going to be like, you know what? It's not even the waste of the breath. I will see you next time when you attempt to engage in the conversation. Because this is an engagement. I'm sure you've had conversations like that. <laughs> Many. <laughs> Some of them are via social media. People, as quick as you, <laughs> as quick, quick as you send, 
they've already got a new response and you're like did you read what i just said you know well and we kind of discussed that in a previous episode you know i've lost friends off of facebook what somebody would not be friends with you oh i'm sorry several somebodies And it's because I would put something out there and they couldn't get past the meme or the sign right. to read that I'm saying, I'm asking a question. Right. No, nope. uh, been there, done that. You're right. Yeah. And I was told blatantly, if this is how you think, I don't see how we can ever be friends. Right. I didn't say that's how I think. Correct. I put the sign or the message out there. I'm asking what's what's up with this 100% and you're right so they don't read everything yeah absolutely so we hope that you will take from this conversation absolutely and listen and engage um, because there's a lot of components that come with these kinds of conversation Um, okay I'm done with you Brandon (laughs) you can never get rid of me I've already told you this Um, see you heard it yourself people he admitted it. I was under the influence. Don't believe her. Um, <laughs> you're, you're under the influence, all right. It's I, that millennial influence. <laughs> hey, we are the greatest. We came up with tiny houses. I mean, we didn't really come up with them, but we innovated tiny houses. Okay? See how he changed history right there, folks? <laughs> I mean, it's not my fault that y'all are from the time period where you could buy the house in the box and build it, okay? I don't know nothing about that, okay? We just made the tiny homes better, okay? <laughs> don't come at us because <laughs> we are innovative and creatives. <laughs> oh. Anyways, oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> you are ridiculous. I, I want to start off with the quote, though, that, that, that began the film because I honestly am still trying to ponder it. Um, I, I didn't look anything into it. I just was like, I wonder where, where where people will go with this. So the quote at the beginning of the film says, race is the child of racism, not the father. Did you have any interpretations in regarding that when you saw that? Or what you think that, can, you know, not necessarily means, but what direction it's intended to go? You know, I have the same thing written down to talk about. Race is the child. I think, well, as opposed to the father's already there, grown, been there, done that. And when you talk about a child, they're small and fragile and need to be nurtured. Um, So to me... It's something that's being nurtured. So I did a little Google search. Um, the What? You did some research? I know. I did some <laughs> research. I still don't have time. This is why I need more people because I am the it's spontaneous podcaster. <laughs> um, so I did a little Google search. That's but, the, but in all honesty, you know, I, I dog him about it all the time. But sometimes that's a good thing because you don't come into the show with the preconception you know and, and so i actually have this conversation with friends also and, and don't get me wrong i love the research part of it i honestly wish i could do a whole lot more that, that's a probably a time management thing i need to work on especially as i start my masters um but i'm very good 
when I what I call follow up questions. And I'm not one of those people that's because you're gonna always be able to ask a why to everything. I'm not asking a why to everything, but I do think that there are always some significant questions that people fail to ask or that they're overshadowed by other significant questions and I find myself often being able to pop those additional questions out I'm like where does it go from here and you know what's crazy I got that from the professional world you know interviews a good interview will do that to you it will continue on with an additional follow-up question and so not only do you have to reflect on what you just said but it's got to make sense in comparison to the answer that you're about to give for what it was followed up with. So that's where I learned that from. Um, and so I think it does some, you know, I think it does a good job in, in playing into what we do. Um, there you go. But our, our, the person that authored our quote here, now I'm probably going to butcher this. So if y'all know the author of the author, hears it, please don't hurt me. But it's Tanihisi. It's T-A-N-E-H-I-S-I, Ta-Nahisi Coates. And so I, I'm reading this. Um, it's, it's from the book. It's from a book called Between the World and Me. That, that's, they're the author of that book as well. And I guess this quote actually is from this book. And so this statement that I'm reading, it says, Early in the book, he, as in the author, writes, Race is the child of racism, not the father. The idea of race has been so important in the history of America and in the self-identification of its people and racial designations have literally marked the difference between life and death in some instances. How does discrediting, how does discrediting the idea of race as an immutable, unchangeable fact change the way we look at history and, and ourselves? Um, and so we might not have gotten into a little bit about that, but I didn't know that the, that that quote actually came from a book also that the author had read, uh, written. I actually need to. Mm, add I that did to, not know that either. Yeah, I need to add that to my list. It's called Between the World and Me, and so obviously it's talking about race. And so I would love to um, grab that book and and kind of go from there. Um, but you know, that's actually, I mean, maybe we'll come back to that because I still have some, some, I'd, I'd like to define specifically where that quote, you know, where it's supposed to be guided to. And for anyone out there listening, if you can, um, provide some clarification on that, by all means, send us an email, hit us up on social media, share with what direction that quote stems from. Um, that way it can provide a better understanding. You know, they don't just put things in films for no reason. Everything's intentional. And so I know that was there to really probe something specific, and I'd love to get to the root of that. Um, so, I mean, basically for this film, if you have not seen it, um, hopefully we won't spoil too much, but essentially... Spoiler alert. Spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. Essentially, you have an interracial couple who are um, waiting to hear the news on their son who has been proclaimed as missing. You have a black mother and a white father. So that's going to give a clear indication that we have a child of mixed race. Um, and it takes place essentially in a police precinct where they are trying to determine where their missing son is. Um, I will tell you, now I was very good. Y'all know I'm a crybaby. I did not 
cry. I did shed a little tear. I did get a little teary-eyed at the end. Um, man, I was hoping they were going to find him. And yeah. the ending really got me. And I was like, I be damned. I can't do this. I mean, struggle. So. Well, because you get so wrapped up in the parents, you, you you start hoping for the kid. Correct. You you honestly do. You, I I don't. Ooh, I can't do it. Um, but nonetheless, it was a very good film. Um, of course, everything put in it. It's always intentional. So I mean, just starting from the beginning, you've got this mother in a police precinct who says, "My child didn't come home, and this is not like them. I know this isn't like them." Um, and so she's, you know, frantically trying to figure out, you know, where her child is at the police precinct. Um, there's a white officer who she's initially engaging with who almost seems to not almost. He does essentially brush off her concerns because he likes to state that he's following protocol. You know, you can't file a missing persons report on uh, someone for, you know, minimum 48 hours and. Um, it's just a lot of, you know, not taking this serious. And the reason I wanted to point that out initially um, is because for a lot of people of color, specifically black people, that's that's their experience. They feel like if something like this happens, it's not taken serious. Um, this also doesn't just apply to um, not just to like law enforcement issues. You know, this is a very big issue in the medical practice as well um i don't know if you're aware of this but definitely a lot of people of color feel like they want and have to have like black medical professionals because the level of severity and care in their lives isn't taken as serious um i think that's a societal thing anymore i to be honest, I think because that happens, that happens on both sides. Um, you know, and I was going to say the argument with that is that, you know, people seek out second opinions. Um, so, you know, if you've got a doctor and, you know, you don't like his answer or it doesn't sit well with you. You may go seek out a second opinion. Um, and so, you know, someone could argue that. Do I justifiably understand where they're coming from? Yes. Um, but that would probably be the argument there is that, I mean, essentially go find a second opinion. It may not just be a race thing but medically i mean people get there are medical professionals that just aren't doing their job well i and back to the point i think that it is more <laughs> it's about the almighty dollar oh yeah get them in and get them out yeah you know it's it's and i don't care what color you are you want a medical person who's going to talk to you and especially soothe your fears. Right. Um, if you, especially if you're in there because you have, you found a lump somewhere, you know, the back, the base of your head, your breast, your leg, anything, you really want someone who's going to listen to what your fear is and address that Correct. not just don't worry i about don't it. like the doctor if anybody knows i don't like the doctor i think i went like nine years without going to the doctor one time and finally i went back <laughs> in like 2017 2018 i i just don't like the doctor i you know and most men don't like the doctor but i i lived up to that stereotype uh-uh, i wasn't going <laughs> if i needed something my body would tell me and i would just either go to the emergency room or the urgent care but i wasn't going to no doctor not for no checkup 
But you know what? You brought up a, a, a perfect point, and I've got this written down to talk about. And since you've already used the word, let's put it out there now. We also, as people, you know, we defined races, race, racism, um, the difference in prejudice and bigotry and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, stereotype. Yes. And, and you know what? Stereotype, for all intents and purposes, is a widely held but fixed and oversimplified image or idea of a particular type of person, thing, or group. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that during this conversation with this cop, you know, there were feelings of a lot of stereotypes typing in there well you know what you listen we're on the same page because that's my next that's my next point it's when he <laughs> when he began to agree i cannot to, be on the same page with you this you, is just not happening you have to be when he <laughs> when he agreed to start probing a bit more about the child he stereotyped the child he insisted um or gave insinuations that the child had to have a, a criminal record of some sort he in like probed her over and over again and she repeatedly said no not of any sort um and when he finally determined that he would move on he gave a hmm as if to say either i don't believe you um or he was just surprised to see that this black child did not have any prior record um from there um that's when he assumed or that's what i'm saying um that's the thing as far as how others see black individuals in society um she, he also mentioned you know the nickname situation does he have a street name like pookie or jay okay. or something like that um, but let me cut in for just a minute before you go any further because there were certain words that could be used to stereotype race oh yes of course however it is very common when you're looking for a missing person or a suspect to ask a lot of those words because of identifying she's trying to locate her son now there were certain things that i felt were kind of racial that he asked did he really need to ask that but like tattoos scars things like that that's common when you are looking for an individual you have to and i tell you my husband has told my kids their whole lives don't get a tattoo especially a visible tattoo Mm -hmm. and you know why that is tell me why it's an identifying mark yeah it is i have several you can tell me (laughs) so So see and you know my son has a tattoo but unless he's not wearing his shirt you don't know it yeah I, w- I don't think I've ever known. <laughs> yeah, well, so it's it- his entire back. Oh, wow. You see, I could never get one of those because I. what's the point of getting it if no one's going to see it? I want you to see my beauty. I want you to see all the tattooness. Well, <laughs> you know, men usually do go shirtless, so, oh, yeah. you know, they, they do that. see it. I mean, it's a huge eagle, but um, People love to put that's what alcohol will do to you at times. Hey, hey, <laughs> I was not under the influence but maybe one time for a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> if the truth comes out, Pinocchio. <laughs> but but in all seriousness, you're right. But there's there's a manner in which you do it. And so this manner in this film was 
designed to show the implications on how it's used in the negative light. It's definitely true. Tattoos can be used to identify someone when you're looking for someone. A scar, um, you know, if the gold teeth thing, you know, my grandfather, you know, he grew up in the age where they were getting gold teeth for the style. Um, um, or if they had an, an, an alias of some sort or a nickname. To, just the to gold make teeth sure. thing is still a thing today. But I, you and I both know somebody who had all of their gold teeth removed. Do we? You know, I can't remember. Who had they go to? Oh, we do. We used to, he used to work with us. And because he did not want to hold him back from being promoted in things, he had every one of his gold teeth removed. Wow. I can't for the life of me remember, but we'll talk about it. Um, we will. I, I just mean, don't want to say their name on air. No, I understand. Um, but I mean, I mean, yeah. So the identifiable parts, if you're doing a, a legitimate investigation, yes. The way, the light in which it was shown here was to specifically implicate on how negatively it's perpetuated to black lives. As if to say, you're going to have these things, so I need to know if they have those. So it, it's really just to show people like th there's the true investigative side of this in the criminal justice part. And there's the light in the film that was shown how this is really, really negative. It was almost as if it, it was the assumption that he had these things. It's the stereotype. You, I mean, we just talked about it. All of those things were meant to be stereotyped onto that child. And the, and the, and she was proving as a mother he has none of those things. Why is it the assumption? Why is it the stereotype that this black child has that? You don't think, and, and I'm just devil's advocate here. <laughs> I, I kind of think a lot of it was, I think it was intentionally put out there to see how it would be perceived. Not to her in the movie, but to us as the watchers. I'd probably say both. It, because it had to be shown because that is the reality of a lot of interactions. And it just does not have to do with just cops. You're talking about kids who go through school. You're talking about grown people in jobs. I mean, it's definitely the amount of stereotypes and assumptions related to those things. It's not just a law enforcement issue. So I would I would go ahead and say both. It's meant for us to instinctively pay attention to those. And I think it's directly to implicate the negative light of what's what happens it, definitely i'd say both of those i'm a little devil's advocate <laughs> hey that's my job i'm here for it well because you know what i i found none of his questions or the thing you know the identifying things as being anything except to define who he's looking for now the manner, the tone he took at times, and like when he, and I caught that subtlety at the end. Hmm. And I forget what the, what the, what the question was that she answered, and he went, hmm. It was when oh. he asked about if he had any priors, and she was trying no, to understand. No, I mean at the very end, and I have to go back and look at it. I mean, it was the like the one of the last things, and it wasn't about priors. It was something else that he was. I only remember when he asked if she if he had any priors, and she said, "Excuse me," and he said, "A criminal record, a juvie record," and she said, "Juvie." He was like juvenile detention, and 
She's like, the child has never been arrested. He doesn't have any records. He was like, has he stolen anything? Is his name in a warning report? And she's, no, no, no. They're rattling all of all of these examples. And he finally goes, hmm. And then he moves on. So that's the only, that's the only documented part that I had of that. Um, but that, yeah, that's, I definitely caught the tone as well. I mean, that, to me, that's why I said I thought the tone was important as well, because it either gave a, a reference to either you were surprised that the child didn't have any of this or you didn't believe her. And I got I gathered that their city they were in was just like any other city. You've got your good side of town, your bad side of town. Right. Absolutely. Well, we have it right here in Nashville. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that goes for anywhere. Except, uh, well, exactly. Except for and that's small why I, country towns. I don't know if you're really small, really, really small country towns have a good side and a bad side. If anybody from Worcester, Ohio can tell me if there's <laughs> a good side and a bad side, because that little country-ass town that I lived in for school for a while um, with cornfields. I mean, I guess the cornfields was the bad side to me. <laughs> My husband laughs all the time because, you know, I, I grew up in Indiana, and that is nothing but cornfields. Flat land cornfields. My high school was surrounded by three cornfields. No, 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 and no. I always laugh because, you know, there's movies, Children of the Corn, oh, no. um, Jeepers Creepers, I've stuff like that. that. Too. I can't go. So I always say, you know, it always happens in the corn. That's why I don't go. Listen, let me tell, let me let me tell you something. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you two things. One, I've driven through Indiana. You're right. It's flat. I'll never drive through there again. That was the worst couple hours of my. I mean, I stayed on this one road, highway, interstate, whatever it was, and it was just so flat, and it was nothing but fields of corn and fields of cows and fields of horses. And I was on there for like four hours, and I was like, God, please get me out this car. Out of Indiana. <laughs> oh, you're not going to take a road trip. <laughs> no, I mean, that is the first class way to sanity. The second part of it is, let me tell you, I, this is why I don't go to cornfields. And, and I also tell people, I was also black, so I knew I wasn't going. So where I went to college, they had this little event that they had. Uh, I'm probably giving away all their secrets, but who cares? They had this little event that they had <laughs> where... I can't for the life of me remember what it was called, but essentially you went to the cornfields like with your friends, with the group. I mean, there was, I mean, we're all, we were all friends because, I mean, the school was really small. But you went out there, whatever night it was, I think it was like two nights, actually. I think it was the weekend. And basically you just turned up in the cornfields. Boy, let me tell you something. I said, hell no. You are not going to have me in the cornfields somewhere in the in old unknown Ohio drunk Jeepers Creepers is real okay if he didn't get me something else could have got me I believe in scarecrows and everything else I wasn't going nope never so you know I think that I don't know if the Amish created it or what and that was just like and they, they used to tell us like Brandon you're not going I was like I mean it sounds interesting is it and they told me what it was I said nope not going not in the cornfields I have seen way too many fields, not the corn. There are eight, eight different Children of the Corn movies. Uh-uh. See, that right there is a problem. <laughs> and signs, 
They came out of the cornfield in sign. I remember that. That was that's how it always started for my generation. In signs, not doing it. But you know what? Sometimes good things happen. Feel the dreams. Look what happened. Build it, and they will come. Mm-mm. I'm still not convinced. <laughs> still not convinced. Listen. Okay. So, moving on. So, also, the other part of this, um, when the officer, we're still in the beginning, when they were investigating, when he brought, when she brought up the, the, the child's love, his name is Jamal, let me keep, stop saying child, when they brought up Jamal's love for Emily Dickinson, and then he tried to recite a quote, and she said, no, that what you're reciting is Charles Dickens, not Emily Dickinson, he was like, no, I don't think so. That, from my understanding, is supposed to show another example of the idea of uneducation in black individuals. I don't know what you took from it, but I, I think everything. I was, took it as some young dumb kid <laughs> who is a rookie cop. It could have been who that does too. has not built his communication skills very well. Oh, yeah, he I think he. I took from it that he was trying to find a connection with her. And he thought he had that connection. You know, I was just not smart enough to know that it was, they were not the same books. I would give him the same benefit of the doubt of him trying. But you know what? You know, as far as our criminal justice, our law enforcement, excuse me. I we really I need to we need to look into this, but you know I'm, if I'm correct, these other countries have um, more extensive training to become a part of law enforcement. Also, I just found out from another podcast that if I'm correct, it's the UK. They don't have guns for their law enforcement. They do show up in multiple groups. Because, you know, in case something goes south, then they have to take somebody down. So they may show up with like six or eight cops, but they do not. Their law enforcement does not carry guns. I found that out from another podcast. I, well, I may be down the road that would work here, but we're so out of control. I don't think that that would work. Oh, right absolutely. Away. I mean, at this stage, I, I, you know, <laughs> you know, I, you know, oh, another brain light moment of the day. I also found out in the state of Tennessee that it's not t- that technically legally. Let me rephrase legally. You don't have to have a carry permit to possess a gun. Um, there are certain exceptions to with that, which you can like use the gun or something like that. I have to find the post, but. There's, I was able to see the law that was actually mentioned and where it could be found, but in the state of Tennessee, you are not required legally to possess a firearm with a carry permit. Um, I think it was specifically to in a vehicle, if I'm correct. Um, I couldn't, because I had one um, before you got, or you got your... Um certification you could still carry the gun i could have it in my car i could have it in my house Mm -hmm. and i could have it in my store i could not carry it like into a grocery store or somewhere else without that permit right yeah so i thought that was interesting today i found that out learn new things every day um, You're young. You should be learning things in every day. my prime. Do you hear me in my prime? Um, my mother always told me my 20s were for me. 
<laughs> it's almost over, dear. Uh, listen, my friends and I were talking about that because, you know, <laughs> it doesn't seem like it, but, like, you have to make that transition from telling somebody, like, oh, I'm in my mid-20s to, like, damn, I'm in my late-20s now. <laughs> by the 30, 30 and let soon. me tell you, before you blink, you're going to be going, damn, I'm two years from 60. Oh, my God. I'm sick of it. Hey, make the most you know of it. But you know what? You know what? Thankfully, I don't know. No, you crossed that line. I would say you're not going to be like one of them elderly people who just say whatever's on their mind and just be talking reckless. No, you do that. That's why we're here. So, that's, that's why I had to do this. That's, that's why we're here. So I'm not even going to say that. <laughs> well, it's it's that. And, though, you know, there's different viewpoints. Our country is in. This is probably the scariest and I'm very naive. I'm, you know what, I'm not going to sit here and pretend otherwise. I grew up in corn country, Indiana. Um, I had less than a hundred something people that graduated. You knew everybody in your school, not to mention your grade. There were, everything was open then. Um, but it was all in that community. And then when you go move to the big city, you're like, what the hell happened? You know, I, between where I live now and Nashville, it really is, you know, when I was younger, we used to go to night court. That was entertainment. What was that? Downtown. Oh, yeah, you used to go cruising around, and then you would go, and this is when Lower Broad was really, really bad, um, but you'd cruise around, and then, you you know, when it got late, 11, 12, 1 o'clock, you go to night court. You watch them as they arrested people. They brought them through night court. Wow. You listen to, you know, the police officer and what the charge was, and the person who was being arrested and most of the time it was drunk and disorderly but um sometimes it was because back then lower broad you you that was not the touristy place that it is now yeah. it was a very rough lots of honky tonks lots and lots of crime so things have gotten much better down there but you know the crime rates, I, you and I have talked about this, I'm, I tie a lot of crime more into economics than skin color. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people get pulled into and it gets labeled as skin color, but I think a lot of it's more economics. And when you have a lot of um, honky-tonks and they're not the biggest thing about entertainment it's more about the money and raw liquor and stuff like that i think that's what also helps drive that criminal element let me tell you something i have been to a honky-tonk with that raw liquor and i have never <laughs> had the audacity to do anything criminal i just want my drinks and to just people watch but you know what? That right there, that that's another. I, and that you, I think you have to applaud your mother, because I think your mother instilled a lot of the, the law lawfulness, um, 
she pushed you you know to be better and have an education um she instilled everything and then you were smart enough and I, you can be offended out there all you want but you were smart enough to take what she taught you and pursue that side of life Mm-mm. see wrong i'm gonna tell you where you went wrong she always told me growing up if you ever go to jail i'm never coming to get you <laughs> okay perfect example she instilled yes yeah, shouldn't be in trouble that's what she said just know if you get in trouble you can't call me so i just had to remember that i just well i can never call my mother so i mean to this day she'll tell me you know if something happened to you you just can't call me i'm not gonna get you and i'm just like well what is you know but no in all seriousness you are correct you know you teach them right from wrong teach them how to critically think see that's the problem people don't teach you how to critically think these days well but what you just said you know i raised my kids with an element of fear yeah i was raised with an element of fear Man, I did not want to get caught doing something like that and then have to go home and be with my father. Because, boy, he had a razor strap like you wouldn't believe. But you have to take those things. I I did my son. He wanted to fly jets with the Air Force or the Navy. And so, and this he wanted that since he was little so I always instilled in him you know what they don't just do urine tests they take hair follicles they can see what you've done for years and he was always scared to do a lot of drugs and stuff Um, one time he was around a group of people who were smoking pot and he was came and he was like oh my god we might have random drug testing Monday. Is this going to appear on my test? I didn't smoke it, but I was in the same room with it. And then I knew my job was done. I scared the hell out of him. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that's what your mom thought. Well, I'm just <laughs> Yes, yes. We're going to go with it that. It doesn't mean you don't experiment, but you you make better of bad choices, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because, see, I, I always have to talk mine out. You know, my friends knew I wasn't going for it. I asked the follow-up questions. Now, what happens if I go here? How, what time am I coming back? Who driving? Who's feeding me? <laughs> you know, I had to ask the follow-up questions. Otherwise, I wasn't going. I and so, see, I think it pulls it out of race. That's good parenting. Right. And I think you're right. We do not have a lot of good parenting going on. The word is parenting, not friends you can't be friends with your kids till they get into their young adult years probably about now you and your mom are becoming friends yeah i would honestly say that and i I probably would agree you there's a stage where you have to do you have to be the parent and it's it's not meant to cross certain boundaries um even though you may you know it may seem like you have a more developed child and they're moving forward you have to always instill that boundary of parent and child and then when they get older and they're able to see certain aspects of life only then can you transition so i would probably 100 percent agree with that Absolutely. and i think that's what we see in a lot of of these economic um challenged areas of any city or town um you've got a lot of single parent households 
or households with both parents, but everybody's trying to work. And there's not a lot of parenting going on. There's a lot of latchkey kids these days. Oh, absolutely. Because I remember going to college and some of them couldn't do half the things that I could do. And I was like, who taught you what? What did you do? You know, not to be judgy, but you're a little old for that, buddy. Well, and they say there was a research firm, I forget what the name of it is, um, but they came out and said there are three things you have to do in order to be successful. One is graduate high school. Two is get a full-time job and work it. And three, do not have kids out of wedlock. Any of those three, not that you can't do it, but any of those three seriously hinder your path to success. I can see, you know, thank goodness I don't have children right now. (laughs) I could not imagine not being able to peacefully go to brunch. Well, you look in your inner cities and what's happening is so many. And unfortunately, the rates in the black community are extremely high for single parent households. Right. Oh, that's true. And there's a whole different rabbit hole we could go down because there's so many different elements that that go into that. So I think we'll get to those eventually. Conversations on... exactly. Yeah, 100%. Um, So back to our film... Um, so next I, I, I wrote down here how things changed when, for the officer, when the father walked in now, initially you would be pressed to say that that was a race issue that the white man walked in and then, you know, he was treated differently. And while that, you know, I'd say there's some validity to that for this one, in this case, they pointed out that he was an FBI agent. So we had a badge. So he made the mistake of assuming that he was the officer that was supposed to be, you know, coming. But I don't think he saw the badge right away. I don't. Th- I think he saw the badge after he started spilling his guts about <laughs> everything, and then saw the badge. You know, and I, I'd probably have to watch it again because I can't say. But that was my argument of well, how how do we not make that part? A race issue because to the eye it's gonna be to the eye it's okay you've got the black woman here you're not giving her any information but you have it but the white man walks in and you can tell him or you're comfortable enough to spill everything so I tried well, that, to that also like, comes back to I think his stupidity and the poor young cop had a lot of stupidity you're very correct <laughs> just something to note well, because experience tells you you don't jump to conclusions correct identify you know now another thing and i didn't write this down but see and this is still happening it's and i'm sure and this will come up later in the film but it's the the lack of information um i you know i know i'm smart enough to know that obviously there are probably investigative protocols and you can reveal certain information at certain times, but I, more times than not, those circumstances occur to 
a lot of people from law enforcement on they're not giving anything or they're told something as if it's presented to be information when it's not um so that was really frustrating several times throughout the film when he would try to elaborate on what he knew and it and it made no sense there was an incident okay what kind do you know what the hell definition of incident is an incident can refer to anything that doesn't provide any information was it an accident and i don't think it's supposed to think we've shot ourselves in the foot brandon how so because if we give out information before it's collaborated or before it has been proven to be accurate Mm -hmm. now you've opened the entire police force open to lawsuits okay i'll give you that i'm talking about confirmed information because he obviously had confirmed information at which he knew and possessed. But how do you know when it's confirmed? Because he kept coming back and saying, well, let me see if anybody else has put anything in there. I, I think that was just for the show of the movie. I don't think that was like... Now, if that happened in real life, I would probably understand. But for the sake of the film, that was more of, so let me try to appease. and Because he was not providing anything. And it was, okay, let me see what I can't. I guess let me see what I can tell you. So... It, yeah, I think that it's was... It's just like when you're a supervisor or you're a manager and you have to write somebody up, but you're doing the investigating to get to that point. Right. You, you can't... You have to get information. You're not allowed to give information. Yeah, I think I think there's a, a boundary between those two. Just on, because I there was nothing... There was nothing given what's so... so there was nothing given... And yeah, I, th- I just, I think we're on the, on the different spectrums of that one, which is totally fine. But I, I just, the lack of information provided on what was already confirmed to someone it applies to. Um, I was, I, I just, I think those circumstances occur a lot more in real life, which is what I, which like I said, I didn't really write that down, but I thought that was very important to note that that's well but i think if you go back to your military and stuff like that you know the chaplain is who gives out the bad information when you've lost somebody Mm -hmm. and this and like i said this guy was he'd all he was new he'd already said he really didn't take the position for that he wanted to get to be an fbi that was his dream job but it was he kept drilling back it's the am public affairs liaison whatever his name was right that's who's got the information that's who's getting everything and he's actively doing the investigation and i think for this poor dumb kid cop Mm -hmm. he wanted to help but he was also afraid of getting in trouble for giving information he's not supposed to give Mm. And and I know that's hard for you to understand, right? Because you know because I hate that in trouble. That in trouble as an adult thing, y'all know I hate that. I, exactly, yes. and and so I think if you were in that position, I think it would have been handled differently, irregardless of your color. Right? No, I I, I can agree, hundred percent. Um, now then you start getting into like the nitty gritty of the film. So the couple having their uh, marriage 
breakdown and all of the multiple race references during the conversation um you know i think i I, and that's nothing to specifically talk about but that's more so just to kind of give people the understanding of everything that came with that interracial marriage all those underlying racial undertones that he the father was not I'm not going to say that because he definitely picked up on several of them and he was able to rebuttal when she would come back at something. So I'm not going to say he did, he wasn't aware. But did you? there were so many of them um, portrayed just in their conversation regarding their marriage that tied into their son. Um, you know, I just think that's information for everybody to pay attention to. Um, oh, I agree. Because yeah. if, if if a couple who merged their lives... Because they were in love, had admiration for each other, respected each other, and now they're at each other, uh, other's throats with all this racial stuff. Gosh, no wonder the world's the way it is right now. Nobody is able to come together to be uni- unified. We'll see, and we'll probably talk about this in the future, but I, you know, from a relationship standpoint, they messed up by not talking about all that stuff. You know, even though I know this is a fictional relationship, but just in real life, that that is what can hinder people. They messed up from not having those conversations when those racial undertones appeared. That doesn't mean that they were negative, but in order for y'all to be on the same page and understand the two y'all had to talk about them some of them they did and they obviously displayed that like when they had the conversation about his name um, i was just gonna say the same thing yeah when they, they obviously talked about some of them but you could tell it was a few during the conversation that they brought up that y'all didn't have the conversation um and so that stuff lingered and now you've got a resentment for whatever it is that y'all didn't talk about um or you let something slide but you really shouldn't have because you've carried it with you all this time. So a prime example for that is the ghetto hair reference when the father talked about his cornrows. <laughs> I, yeah. I wrote that one down. I was like, oh, my God, this shit is getting crazy. Yeah, so I wrote down that one, the ghetto hair reference towards the cornrows. And then, um, I mean, she, she tried to... Um, like portray a visual of what it was like to be a black mother and all of those things that she worried about, you know, the sleepless nights and or waking up in the middle of the night, I should say, and everything that he missed. Um, so I think that was, you know, I'm trying to get to the point of like, I didn't want, I thought it was pretty balanced, like them two having that conversation about all those racial undertones, but then you got to that part where essentially it's like she kind of won that because she overshadowed with this is what it's like you you don't have any of that worry or you've never had to experience any of that worry and so i thought um that that i think men bottled that up anyway you think so oh yeah because i can i can tell you know i meant to say you think so for like most most men most men yes okay yeah i'm not saying every man because you know human beings are different right i'm saying that the majority of men when they are worried or upset they don't talk about it right 
they don't they do everything to display it because it whether we like to believe that or not there's still that male stereotype thing that the man is supposed oh, to yes. be the strong masculinity is very fragile and i think i exactly. actually pointed that out but not for masculinity we'll get to that um yeah, yeah and 100%. where the woman is the warrior yeah. I, when and even when my son or my daughters were not home by curfew where are they and your mind goes crazy right um, but men are like they'll be fine yeah all the while while they're laying there watching their phone too yeah i, I got you um so i wrote this down and i don't know if you would see this but i'm gonna tell you and for everyone listening one of oh, you're gonna tell me i'm gonna you? tell you <laughs> So one of the most powerful moments in that film was shortly after they had the conversation of, with all the racial undertones about their marriage and their son was when she stated, Kendra, the mother, when she stated that the son, and I quote, he's going through an awakening to being black. I would honestly say that is probably the top most powerful moment in the film next to the ending um because that is very much so real i mean i you know if people weren't paying attention to that stuff going on the comparison between you know teaching this mixed boy and the schools the type of schools he went to and being in a school where there's only three black people and how he's taught to speak and all of those things that come with that you have to balance um, and then for her to say he's going through an awakening to being black, listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. I felt that, and there are probably so many other black individuals who also felt that. And I'm going to tell you why. is because e even if you're not a person of mixed race, I'll tell you right now. So I went to predominantly white schools. Um, so, like, really up until I got to high school for those last two years, two or three years, um, that was a switch for me. And I even told you this, you know, and I'll share it with y'all, but I told you I, I wanted to initially go to a HBCU for my master's because I yeah. felt like, I felt like there was uh, a sense of, of blackness that I wanted to get in touch with that I had not experienced. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. <laughs> you know, most of my friends and family know I'm a lot I'm a little bit of ratchet these days, and if you don't know what it means, I can't help you with that. But um, <laughs> I can. <laughs> Correct. But I still felt that. I was like, I 100% felt that. So when she said he's going through an awakening to being black, and she pointed to her skin, that was powerful because you're referencing so many undertones there and like the interaction the interactions the interactions with everyday life and society that realization of what's going on um i was actually pretty shocked to see how much of this dealt with police brutality and or you know insinuated along the lines of police and police brutality when when this film came out um I'm not saying that that wasn't happening at the time, but you know, it's more prevalent right now than when it was happening back then. So I was really shocked to be like, damn, this is actually really accurate for right now when it came out, you know, a while ago, but there, obviously there were other cases such as the ones they mentioned, mentioned such as uh, Philandro Castile and Eric Gardner and all that good stuff. Uh, but I, I just wanted to point that out. That was definitely by far, I'm going to say 
the the most powerful moment of that movie that that had to tell people on both sides i i'm gonna say all three sides for the black people or people of color that are experiencing what she said for those who don't experience it but then get the chance to see what someone else may have to understand even as a person that of color and being black and then for everyone else non-people of color who had to see that outside i I think that was by far the most powerful moment of that film um any thoughts on that (laughs) no i think it i think it was i think you know that that's something that i would imagine every mixed child has to go through you know and i have several mixed friends we may have to get a little conversation going with them um, just to kind of see, you know, get get a real life understanding, and and may, may, we may have to do uh, what do you call it when they <laughs> when they do? It's got to call it a study where you get a bunch of participants and you put them in a, a room, <laughs> do a little group. a focus group. Yeah, a focus group. We may have to do a focus group with these people. <laughs> we may have to do that. Yeah, I because I think some of that may help people as well as them how do we unify people because we have to get past looking at skin color yeah in order to unify the country and 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 i know that's a very difficult thing because oh, you've is. got your huh i said oh it is because you're gonna have people who are gonna say not to ignore skin color right i think we have to seek skin color in a different way that's my belief okay I, the guy that i told you about that I heard he was a CEO of a very large corporation and he hated the fact that people said oh I don't see color yeah what we have to see is past just the skin color what comes with that what can we celebrate about that you know and that brings me to you know your aunt jemima and your uncle ben's that the cancel culture had culture cancel what are that cancel culture culture. is trying to get rid of well now you're defeating what you're saying you were there to do to begin with because this is something in black history that can be celebrated she was the real life lady that did the aunt jemima spokesperson Mm -hmm. piece she loved it she was celebrated she was she brought a lot of identity to black cooking and culture and things like that her grandchildren are actually up in arms over it being canceled probably because some of that's royalty um, that they get from that but instead of celebrating that and I was glad with Gone with the Wind the lady who played Mamie um, they finally put Gone with the Wind back on um, out there for public view mm-hmm. she was the first American black actress to win an Oscar and you want to get rid of that right so his preface was we need to see skin color but we need to see a lot of things instead of and we're the tear down culture you know we're so judgy and first impression view yeah and the crazy part is it didn't used to be like that 
At least from no. my growing up, like, like when you talk about cancel culture. Now it's the drop of a dime. Up, oh, can't support it, won't do it. Cancel them, they're done. And I'm like, what? Exactly. And, and we've talked about it with the LGBT community. It just floored me that they were... Um, oh, yeah, because there's a several... I feel like, oh, they are big... I say they as if I'm not a part, but essentially they, yes, LGBTQ community is huge cancel culture. Um, they're comedians, especially towards comedians. You make a joke regarding anything LGBTQ and they want to cancel you and try to end your career. And some people have been a victim of it and almost been a victim of that. And it's just not that. Ooh, that's a whole hypocritical community in my in, in my opinion. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, one day. Well, but when you look at that, you know, instead of, you know, you they were so discriminatory within their own group. Oh, yeah. Well, folks, get a tough skin. <laughs> you know what? Everything isn't about you. Right. We have to look at, at because the, the country is crumbling around us over the things that are going on. We are so pulled apart right now. It's like a pack of wolves and everybody's trying to get their bite of meat. Mm. Well, you know what? If we all act rationally and we sit down and really come up with solutions. I still, you know, was impressed when you said that... um, Chattanooga had come back um, and they were talking between the protesting groups and the city council but it was like tell us what your suggestions are tell us what you would like to see happen and they're working together when we're still in Minneapolis and Portland and now Seattle things are still being destroyed but they're not being destroyed for the same things that we started with. Mm-hmm. I hear you, hundred percent. So then, in when you go back to the movie, what did you think when the liaison got there? Oh, so yes. So b- before I get into that. <laughs> There was one more thing before the liaison got there, and that was how the father, he actually pointed out the fragility of the mind of a cop. He said, because the bumper sticker was a big part of this as well. Oh, yes, the bumper sticker. He pointed out 100% the fragility of the mind of a cop. He said, if I had been a cop and I had seen this, it would have been enough to whatever send me over the edge as well and we and i've mentioned that before and i still come back to the same point of there are occupations in this world that you know you're going to have to interact with circumstances that are high intensity and that may be aggressive in nature um i understand there's a boundary between like the self-defense and protecting and you doing your part but the jump off the gate and that fragile mind and that fragile everything in regards to, um, you know, being a cop and you're supposed to be there to protect and serve, it does not align. So I, I made sure to point that out um, 
in regards because the father said it. He was like, yeah, that as a cop, I mean, he was an FBI agent, but he was like, yeah, that definitely sent me over the edge. Like to see this bumper sticker and I've been out and to see this bougie kid running his mouth, da, 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 that would have easily been my trigger as well. And I was like, I mean, they pointed it out. Okay. But see, to me, that would put me on edge. When you see the bumper sticker and what's accentuated was shoot cops. Right. And if you can't read, and there are many bumper stickers where you only see the caption because, especially when you get to be my age, you don't see the smaller prints. But to <laughs> me, that you're, you're asking for it. I'm sorry. When you put something like that, at, what if it said, shoot blacks? You are telling me that if you came up on a car that said that, it wouldn't put you a little uneasy. Uneasy? Yes. But that's not the that's not the parameters at which I'm I'm thinking of this. Not enough like being in a position to, you know, pull someone over and interact with them and interact their life. I'm looking at that like you know, I'm on a whole different level, energy level. I'm looking at that. Okay, totally well, different. let's do, let's go this route. You see that sticker that says "shoot blacks." Mm -hmm. Could be "shoot whites." It could be "shoot gingers." Let's use that. Mm. And you pull into the parking lot at your favorite club, mm -hmm. and then they pull in. And they say something smart. You say something smart. And then you notice that stick bumper sticker again. Mm -hmm. That doesn't put you on a different level of being weary of them. It would. Absolutely. Because to me, shoot cops, when you put that on your bumper sticker, you're, first of all, you're being antagonistic. But second of all, if I have to pull you over for something... And let's say it's because you're weaving in and out of traffic or over the line. And so now I fear that you are on drugs or alcohol. Right. Am I going to treat that car the same way as if I pulled up behind the car that had a bumper sticker that said Jesus? But see, what's changing? Is it is it just the fear? Is it... Because to me, when you asked that question, I would have said, yes, approach it the same manner. And it's not up until that you are in a position where the circumstances have changed, then you react based off them. And what people get at is that that doesn't happen, that officers or anybody, even if it's someone getting into like a bar fight or whatever, that you come out the gate swinging or ready to pull a gun or whatever the circumstances are so that's why i'm asking what's changing because i would to answer that question i'd have been like yes i have to approach you and until i'm given that reason of the circumstances changing at least that's what i assumed it's supposed to be like every well, i don't know because shoot cops to me or shoot anybody to me that is a loose cannon personality inside that vehicle 
So then we now might, I'm not going to tell I, you that I'm going to walk up and have my gun and pull it on you immediately. But I think that fear and that adrenaline that you have to approach that person okay. puts you on edge. That's, so let's let's use that as an example because people actually have an issue with this. If you right. if there was an officer and that was a, a sticker on a vehicle, people would see that officer walking up already. So say he pulled him over. Say you pulled the cop the car over for blowing through a red light, and you see that, and he walks up already with his hand on his gun, ready to use it. So people see that. And that that's their issue when it comes to or that's one of the issues when it comes to um, black lives and police brutality, because the the perception is you never even gave the life chance. You already had walked up to this vehicle with the intent of using that weapon. It's already right there. When essentially I don't know that was, it's intent because and you brought it back to a race issue and see. I, I'm saying anyone. What if it was a black, you do not think that a black cop walking up on a vehicle like that's not going to be prepared because the shoot cops tells me that there's already a problem there. You don't put something like that on your, your car. And even though it came back and said, with your camera phone, what is what is the I, I can't think of the word or the phrase I'm trying to what is the perception that that bumper sticker is supposed to give I told, I'm totally there with you and I mean they said in the film we didn't like the sticker I'm totally with you mentally your psyche is already telling you oh shit something finna go down well, I got you. exactly I got you 100% if, if that sticker would have been on my son's vehicle I'd have been standing over him kicking his butt till it was off because you're asking for trouble and and you know the father said that very same thing and the mother when you're right she came back and said i didn't like it she didn't stand her ground either she let him or or are we to assume because you know what she did say i told him not to get in and that or not to drive that car until the sticker was off she did state that. And then it goes back to what she stated about him having an awakening about being black. There's, right. You know, that's that that's that parental gesture of the whole identity thing is real. I, I don't you know, I think some parents miss that. And you raise children and, and we have they they have this idea of like they have their identity based on how they're raised when that's not the case that they still have to find some parts of it. And so I think with the sticker, it would have been a hit or miss. For me, I'm with you 100%. With the sticker, that, I, I, absolutely. Your psyche's telling you, oh, snap, something finna go down. Or not something finna go down, but, like, this is going to be a piece of work because look at what the sticker says. I, we look at bumper stickers all the time. I look at bumper stickers, and I see them, and I, some of them, I look at that when I see a Trump 2020 sticker. I'm not going to lie to you. I'll be like, oh, Lord, they may be a little bit more radical than I am. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I got you. I get you. That's literally a, a, a real perception. So I get the whole bumper sticker situation. But where does it change into having the that, that cognitive 
uh, ability of discerning between this is what I think's about to happen versus handling it under the circumstances to which you're supposed to be trained for. That's what I'm asking because I, someone, the example I gave with the cop walking up to the car with the gun, that was actually something real that I saw on social media this past week. And I understood that it's like you walked up to the vehicle on a traffic citation already gun drawn. Why? I know you weren't trained to do that. What, where were you, where, where did that come from? What, what Black Lives Matter. I, I'm not going to lie to you. Because of the ambushes that Antifa and Black Lives Matter have done to the police, they're scared to death. They're retiring early with no replacements. They are quitting left and right because they're not being backed up anymore. Uh, face it, would you want to be a policeman right now? I, yeah, I would. Oh, absolutely. I, really? I, I totally would still be a police. There have been days where I have truly considered dropping what I'm doing and to get in either law enforcement or a criminal law. I, there have been so many days, I'm telling you, and I've only had to pray about it because I'm like, Lord, do I really want that journey? Because it's going to be intense. And it's not that I'm not a fighter. I, I don't create. I, I solve or I attempt to solve. So that's why I've only prayed about that. But absolutely. I think we need to find you um, a police place that will let you ride with them for a day. And I'm talking in the city because I tell you, I would not. And I've got I've got friends who had considered doing it that don't want to right now. Right. I know it's dangerous. I, I absolutely I don't think anybody's taking that away from that occupation right now it's definitely more heightened than it is right now but it's you know there is that ratio of that one bad can remove everything good that's being done and vice versa that one good that that one time that i might be able to be a good officer and put a some sort of representation and light to what it means to being a black officer and taking that oath to serve the people and to protect the people, th that's what I have considered when I said I would totally do it. I, I, I truly have because I'm like, where where's the stand up? Where's the, you know, where's the admittance of, hey, this was wrong. Hey, this was right. Because I'm not saying that every circumstance is wrong. As sometimes social media tries to make it out to be. We talked about that with the... Um, with the woman and that pulled the cop, the gun on the two girls, the mother and the daughter, you know, both parties were wrong. Um, but I've definitely truly considered that. Absolutely. I, I just think no one, I think there's a, I think there's a, well, we're still going to do our job. And so well, you're a minority the in the minorities at this point. Uh, hey, you know what? <laughs> That's what I do. I break rules. <laughs> but in but in all, in all seriousness you know maybe that's something you want to look at i would venture to we need to get you a field trip but i think what happens right now is that and social media and our normal mainstream media is horrible horrible and we're going to do some episodes on that too but they show you the shock value and they show you the only time you see a lot of good things about cops is at Christmas 
you know, when they're taking the um, inner city kids and the underprivileged kids Christmas right. shopping. Right. Outside of that, all you see is the bad stuff. And then right now, social media has got all of this stuff about, you know, dismantling and defunding, which we've talked about. But now there's several ambushes that have been escalated, you know, where they they purposely call for the cops to ambush them. Right. So I'm not saying that anybody should walk up on somebody with their gun pulled necessarily. Now, I I tell you, if I walk if I was the policeman, I wouldn't necessarily have the intent to use it, but I would have the intent to protect myself if I was walking up on a car that said shoot cops and I'm the cop that has to stop you and I'm already suspecting that you're under the influence of alcohol or drugs because of your driving. Right. And when you put somebody under those influences, we can agree they don't always act rationally. I mean, you're not wrong. If the documentation supports it, see, it, I, I had this this thought process earlier, but what I'm saying is that if that documentation supports it, you've got a dash cam, you got a body cam that shows we've got this traffic citation that is already giving me that cause that something is not right with the driver, that they may be under the influence, and I may need to have my you know first of all why do we go to the gun don't y'all have tasers or don't you have a a stick you know a baton um why is the first thing the gun but that's just another question but i i totally would get like being prepared just in case i needed to protect myself um, well okay so we talked about floyd in the past and there's not a soul in the country that no that feels or knows that that was right right and we're all in agreement on that but that's what sparked a lot of this and then, you know, just in your neighborhood, well, I say neighborhood, but in Atlanta, you guys had the shooting with um, Richard, and I don't remember the last name. Brooks, I, I only remember it now because you brought up the taser. Yeah, Rashard Brooks, if I'm correct. So how do you, how did you feel about that? Um, so I, I actually, because there was so much going on, I did not even look at that. I just kept hearing the name. So I do not know the details of that case. Okay. I did so, hear, and it was circulating, and th there was another one up at the time, um, a, a young lady. Um, she was uh, a child, I think maybe three or something like that. Her name was Sakori or something. Th there was a couple things going on at that time in that area, so I can't tell you what that one was about. Oh, the little girl that got shot was just horrific. But Richard was in the drive through line in his car at Wendy's. And he fell out, fell asleep, passed out, something like that. So the restaurant or one of the people in the drive through called the police. And so the police came. They had him move his vehicle or they moved his vehicle out of the line over to the side. Oh, is that the one where he followed all the directions, and they still ended up shooting him? I think. That's well, let me let me finish. So you have the whole story. Okay. Um. So yes, they got it, and he was very respectful. Very yes, he was following the rules. Um. They gave him the drunk test. He was he failed the drug test. Um. He was 
on parole or had just gotten out of jail. But because of him being drunk and public intoxication, they were going to arrest him. As they proceeded, as they started, and you know, he was just standing there, and as they are putting the handcuffs on, there was no roughing, roughing him up, no nothing. He grabbed one of the officer's tasers. And that's when the scuffle began. And so he got the taser away from one of the officers and he jumped up and started to run. Well, the policeman started to run after him, kept telling him to stop. And then he turned around and tried to tase them. And then that's when they shot him. And unfortunately, um, he died. So, so did that taser become a weapon of concern or should they not have considered that a weapon of concern? I know, absolutely. He went for the taser. At that point, you made a, a an action, you know. At that point, you made an action, a, a retaliating action. By all means, I don't think anybody logical would disagree. <laughs> well, but but they burned the Wendy's down because they disagreed. They considered that to be police brutality. I'd like to and read, that I'd like to read more on it just to kind of get a clear definition because I'm still trying to put the piece together. You know, if there, you know, usually there's a piece of this happened, so that was what we think is the police brutality. But I'm like, I mean, based off that story, that I'm, I'm still trying to find the piece. Right, and and that's where the video begins and ends. I mean, they show him giving him. I want to say it was their dash cam. Um, I can't swear to that, but it was very clear video. Like I said, Richard was very respectful. I think what happened when they started to arrest him, the fear of going back to prison or whatever for violating parole, made him snap with the alcohol. People do strange things when you're under the influence. They do. But, you know, I always think that, not, for the most part, there is so many alternatives that could have taken place. Um, you, know, I, you know, the first thing I question is why did the employees, what was the reasoning behind the employees calling the police instead of trying to address him themselves um, not saying walk up to the car or get in the car with them but if he's in a drive-through um, you know the circumstances of you know trying to wake him up and direct him you know hey pull over or you know even for the safety maybe they said okay obviously he's drunk maybe call the police to help him so then what where did the police what part did they do to try to help instead of you know we got to take this down you know I, because my instinct, honestly, if, if I get to that circumstance, my instinct tells me, okay, so someone in a drive through drunk, they're not in any position. They've not given me a reason, um, a violent reason that anything else should take place than for me to try to help them. So, you know, so what, what happened to you're the days, saying what happened well, to the days of the cops taking, you know, why didn't we consider taking him home? You know, or did you just want to write the ticket? You could write the ticket afterwards. Uh, you know, I'm just thinking of all the possibilities right. that we could have done to help. And instead, we took a different route of investigate and uh, interrogate because 
you know, the uh, what's when they see us taught us the intensity behind interrogation. So I, I, that's well, all I'm looking at. You need to go look at the video because, like I said, he was extremely respectful. Right. Followed every instruction. I, I did hear that on across social. And media. it wasn't until they were going to arrest him because you know what it is against the law to be behind the wheel of a motor vehicle at the level of being drunk. So then you go back and now you're, you know, at what point do we bend the rules of the law and when do we not? I mean, that's that's a whole nother topic it to is, talk about. It is because some people are going to tell you the law is definitive and some of them are going to tell you it's not. That's a whole different argument. When um, you go before a judge, do you expect them to follow the law or what they want to do? Not necessarily what they want to do, but what is, I mean, I don't want to say what's right, but what's logical in those circumstances. I think Judge Joe um, Atwood and I kind of touched on that is yep. you want to, you know, the boundary between taking them down from the law's perspective and, you know, doing quote unquote what's right or what could be a better situation for the outcome. Um, I, I, you know, that's that's a whole different conversation, like you said, because some are going to argue it's definitive and some are going to argue that it's not. I truly believe I mean, you know, I, it, there's a whole different rabbit hole I can get into about second chances. Is God going to give you a second chance for the things that you've done? Do you not deserve any? Oh, it's a whole different route. I could go with that. So I'm personally on the side of it's not necessarily definitive um you know there are obviously circumstances where it's going to tell you you've broken the law this is violent um and punishment comes with that i'm not in well your policemen sometimes get caught in that the catch 22 you know me i'm always just gonna i'm gonna rile you up and play devil's advocate with a lot of this stuff what if the police said, oh, come on, dude, you just got out of jail uh, with something to do with his daughter's birthday party or something. Let me take you home. And then they get home and he takes his girlfriend's car and he goes out and kills a family. Right. Who's responsible for that now? Him for being drunk or the police because they tried to help? You know, and then I think that's what we do have judges for. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, boy, did you backpedal? I think that's what. We, but I, no, it would be the same thing because then you're asking for a societal opinion, and I'm like, I'm not in the. That's why I'm not in that position to do that. <laughs> but you have a judge that's supposed to see through that, you know. And I mean, are we gonna call the judge? It depends on what level you're gonna take it. Are you gonna say, oh, they're they're gonna sue the officers for? Uh, making a judgment call or, you know, th there's still so many ways with that. I still wouldn't backpedal that. I, I would still give them the same opportunity. Well, here's what I've always taught my, my son. When you're stopped or you're approached by a police officer, it's yes or no, sir. You transition us right into Lieutenant Stokes from the film. <laughs> that was a great transition. <laughs> there you go <laughs> I get us back on track but I've always told him you know when you're out on the side of the road or in a parking lot and the police officer has stopped you for whatever reason it's yes or no sir 
Don't argue with him. Don't debate him. Understand what he's telling you. Comply with what he says. If it's wrong and you feel he's doing something illegal, wait till you get to jail. When they give you that phone call and that and I come down there, that's when the lawyer's going to step in. Because I don't want my son to put himself in a position to have a bad cop pulling him over. And there's some cocky ones. You know, I've had speeding tickets from some cocky-ass cops. Right. But that's not the time and place because you don't want to escalate what may already be a cocky, had a bad night, had a run-in. I mean, they're human beings. They're not robots. And then we'll deal with it. But when you take it into your own hands at that time, it gets escalated on both sides. So I we'll have to come back and talk about that at a later time after you've watched the video so that I can get your real perspective after seeing it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to do my part and uh, check that out because I, I had heard about it. There was so much going on. Absolutely. Um, well, there's we're in mass chaos right now. Yeah. The whole country. Oh, yes. There's a lot. So then we so get then... to <laughs> Lieutenant Stokes that finally arrives. I bet everybody was surprised to see it was a black man. But you could almost hear people, their chins dropping <laughs> because I think they purposely led you, especially when the father came in and the the little rookie cop started in on him. I think they really led you to believe that this is going to be a white cop walk in. I, I think so. I would completely agree. And to me, you know, you can either play it in a race baiting situation or you could still take it as this is also still why there is no good history period with law enforcement. I was not happy with Lieutenant Stokes. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, the first thing I wrote here is when he came in, it furthered the, it furthered the ideology behind these cops thinking they are God and the way that they can talk to you and disrespect you. Um, and, I mean, he threw it at the father. You keep talking, I'm going to add charges. Like, nothing justifiable, nothing criminally justifiable, violently, uh, in, in any manner. And yet he was still able to do it. And completely, uh, I mean, it, it literally showed, for me at least, that representation of the, uh, what's, what's the level, that's the word I'm looking for, um, uh, quote-unquote power that these cops have or think that they have and how it just took a turn that fast um because they represent quote-unquote the law um he stated further down the line uh that when you are pulled over you don't have the right to assert your rights you have the right to shut up and do as the officer says what did you think about that because i wasn't here for it you know i've always taught my son that and and my son is white it it to me that's not a black or white issue that's a respect issue and i always go back to that correct so it's respect have, for a, where do we draw between respect and that first amendment right 
Well, the father initiated the agitation in that that confrontation. I am not denying that one bit. He definitely, obviously, they were upset. They were tense. And, you know, to me, that goes right back to you're entered into a position where you're going to come across intense moments. If you're not capable of handling them, then you don't need to be in that position. And I, and, but don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean I'm saying he's right. I'm just saying it's the expectation. If I know I'm going to be a law enforcement detective and I'm going to have to go searching for people, I'm going to know I'm coming across bad people and irritated people and people who don't want to talk to me. And I already have to know that I can get my panties in a wad talking to somebody just because they have an attitude with me. But, but I know he gave him like multiple uh, he gave him multiple choice chances to simmer down and calm down and he wouldn't do it. He did. You, you're right. Absolutely. I'm still to me it was like I'm looking for the law. What law did he break because you caught an attitude because he caught an attitude with you and you didn't like how he talked. That's what I'm looking for. Th- that's the part that I'm looking for. Okay, so he talked back to you, and you know how I feel about that being grown and being in trouble. Uh, I think they even chest. He tried to chest bump him once, didn't he? Now that I don't. Now that I didn't see, because that to me, I'd have to go whole... back because the father did become. He he appeared to become aggressive with Lieutenant Stokes. You're right, absolutely. Because the originally, I think his agitation with the regular police officer was at such a level that by the time lieutenant stokes walked in now it's a confrontation lieutenant stokes was trying to get him to stop and listen and he wouldn't do it so he threatened him he never pulled a gun or he never showed any aggression but he did show his authority and i think at that point because things had escalated that's not uncommon for police to put out-of-control people in handcuffs in the back of a police car and later pull them out or talk to them once they calm down. I, you're, you're not wrong at all. Um, and, and to me, that's if they show a, a physical, almost a physical level that, you know, it, it could turn violent. I've seen that, absolutely. To me, that's the right thing to do. All right, well, you're a little hype right now i see you moving in different directions i don't know where you're going (laughs) you need to be restrained for a second you calm let's talk i also know everyday citizens who have that same mentality of you're not if you come at me i mean my friend uh my friend aaron said it on a facebook post that we were discussing one day when we talked about the video of the officer who restrained the black lady because she was in his face and he said well you know me how do you think i would respond and i would and i told him i said you would have been just as wrong um, because th- just because someone's talking to you any kind of way doesn't give you that right. Uh, to me, I'm trying to figure out where is the broken law in being spoken to. That doesn't mean I agree with it. I understand respect and how to talk to people. I'm not happy about it. It will it will uh, make your blood burn, burn, but I'm looking for the law in it. Tell me, where does that freedom of speech and, and and that respect and you being able to just put a charge or arrest somebody and tell them to do this, where where does that come at? Because I miss that. That's what I'm looking for. Well, and I had this conversation recently with someone 
and I, over the federal officers going into Portland and pulling some sort of law, lawfulness back into the city because it had gotten so bad. Um, I want to say criminal activity went up 46%, violent criminal activity, rapes, shootings, stabbings, things like that. And the federal officers are able to go in because their job is to serve and protect. Mm -hmm. And local officers' jobs are to enforce the law. Mm. Maybe we need to have a and I, I looked it up, and that's true. I did not know there was a differentiation between those two law enforcements. Hmm. Yeah, we're going to have to break that one down for real and share that because, I mean, that's going to change a lot of positions. Sure. And a lot of, a lot of interactions between these agencies. Because the assumption is that all of them are supposed to protect and serve. You know, outside of, like, your federal bureaus of investigations and stuff like that. Oh, exactly. Well, that's why I kind of took a step back and went... Well, you know what? That's that's something I never, ever thought that there was a difference. But we've already established I'm pretty naive in the world. <laughs> no, I think you got it 100%. Well, I mean, that's so, everything that I have. That's that film in, uh, I mean, I think we hit all those components. Um that were that were highlighted in that film i think that was i hope this opens the doors for a lot of people to examine those elements uh going forward especially in your interactions um whew, there was a lot there and then at the end are you gonna go are you gonna spoil the end or are you gonna leave that a mystery you know i don't even want to talk about it i can't do it <laughs> um you have to I, you know Yes, I can definitely give that spoiler. I mean, we've already talked about the whole film, but unfortunately, um, you know, after the father and Lieutenant Stokes have their scuffle, uh, the mother and Lieutenant Stokes um, go at it about their blackness and being in that position, um, which definitely serves quite a few words. Um, but do you think part of Lieutenant Stokes' attitude was because he felt he had to prove himself um you know i think that everyone goes through that in every occupation where you start reaching status so I, I, it should wear off there, there should be a point where it wears <laughs> off it does i've been there it gets to a point where it wears off that i do these things to show uh that i'm capable and and, and that you know, I'm in this position for a reason and I'm looking out for myself. At a certain point, though, that should wear off. It shouldn't be long. So, I, you know, I would be pressed to say that if it still was going on, then he's got a bigger issue with his own insecurities. Um, or no, the, but we or don't know how long he'd been in that new in that, that position. Correct. We don't know anything about that. Um, I was not here for the way that he spoke. Um, I understand some of those, you know, but law enforcement can be typically a quote unquote man's world. So I know how men like to talk. I also don't get down with how men talk sometimes. So I didn't like the language because I still think you can get the job done with a manner of respect and dignity. Um, so I wasn't too happy with his position. Um, 
I'm not saying he didn't have any arguable points when he and her were having their conversations in regarding their blackness and then their positions. She's expecting him to do more, and he's like, lady, you got it twisted. So that was a lot. Um, but nonetheless, um, they all separate. The husband and wife reconvene, and the uh, Lieutenant Stokes returns, and he step-by-step step walks out the incident that took place in which we discovered that the young man, their son Jamal Connor, was shot by the officer. Um, no one knows if it was intentionally or unintentional, and they state that in the film, um, but he was struck by a bullet, killing him instantly. So of course, because they weren't sh the policeman wasn't necessarily shooting at him. Correct. He was just shooting because of the circumstances. Uh, of well, the one incident. of them was trying to run away. Yeah. And so, you know, there's there's still questions I could go with that. You know. Well, it's not uncommon to the things that are going on today. It's not. You know, I get into more follow up questions of why shoot, let them run. You know, if it was a, uh, which, you know, you know, they said he had a warrant for a marijuana possession. Um, if he starts running, but you've got two other victims to contain, or excuse me, two other individuals to contain, you know, what is, what is the decision making? What's the training that shows me the decision making with that? Because my, my mind is telling me to apprehend the two, the ones running. Okay. He's ran. He's not, he's not defined as a uh, violent or, you know, a risk. He just needs to be turned in or he needs to turn himself in. I, right. So I, I think of follow-ups that what could have came, you know, and so the story goes that he was shooting because one was trying to get away and the bullet either unintentionally or intentionally, they said that in the film, did not know, uh, injured their son, Jamal Connor, and struck in the head, instantly died. And, you know, that's when you start to shed your tears and you'd be like, damn, because I mean, it was set, it'll set you up. It'll set you up so deep. But you know what? That is the nightmare of every parent. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Especially this day and age. So mothers and fathers, you do have to teach your kids to have some level of respect. You know, whether you agree or you disagree with the law enforcement, as long as they're not you know, we've seen them where they've gone overboard and there's just nothing that we can do about it at that time. Right. It's hard. We, I know it's it hard. is. It's hard. I've been there. You know, I had a uh, terrible car accident and I had officers talk to me like a dog and I was on the phone with my mother and I could hear it in her voice and she said, just stop talking because you get disrespected. And so then you feel the need to retaliate and it's a pressurized situation. I'm still all of, if I'm in the position of power, that doesn't give me, I, I know that that's going to come with intensity and I'm not going to engage in it. I, that's just me. I understand everybody's not me and they don't, they don't do, operate the same, but I feel like when you take those positions like retail, if you work in retail and you work in a leadership or managerial position, you already are going to know you're going to encounter intense patrons as customers. You, and, staff. and staff. You get it from all sides. You can't. So that, that you already know going in, I'm going to encounter this. It's never going to be in your control. You're never going to do anything to entice it, but it's going to happen. 
I think the same thing with those law, with law enforcement. You know that when you engage in that occupation, that's just me personally, you know it's coming. And so those disrespectful moments, even if somebody does it to you, it, it you shouldn't do it back. And that doesn't make the, the same worse. And someone's going to say, well, why can they talk to me any kind of way and I can't respond? That's that's one that shows your dignity and your position that you're doing. Um, but two, it, you know, I'm on a whole different ball game. I'm on a whole energy ball game. It's not going to get anywhere. Like, yes, they're upset. Give them a moment to calm down or whatever it may be. But, you know, I I I, I understand it. I, I've, I've been yelled at. I've seen it. The disrespect is disgusting. I've also been on the other side. I've been very angry. I was very angry at those officers. I, I was very angry at the fact that you tried to accuse me of wanting to be a troublemaker after I just wrecked my car and potentially my life. I have yep. been there. I have 100% been there. I think you're right. There does have to be some compassion. And I think, but it, you know what? We get it even in customer service and all that. You hear the same old crap day in and day out. You be, you you become less empathetic. Right. And we have to remember each time is the first time for this this group or this pair. Oh, yeah. Hard to do. Yep. Absolutely. I hate you every time we get on this mic. No, just kidding. <laughs> That's how you end the show, folks. That's how you do it. <laughs> well, listen, but seriously, this has been great. I'm so glad we were able to be candid and touch every single one of those elements. Um, this is the end of our racialized series. Um, seven's my lucky number, so I hope you guys have enjoyed all seven parts. <laughs> um, and that's not to say that things in life the way things are going we'll touch on a lot of these things again because they're not going away absolutely yeah we'll definitely circle back we'd love to have the conversation with individuals who identify themselves as mixed race and some officers i mean i'd love to get oh i'd love to get a group of officers in a room from different areas and break down some of their understandings of the work that they do uh, there's a lot so we're not done here and you know what i think that would be a good panel oh absolutely Oh, I have all the ideas. <laughs> I have all the... I'm here to shake some tables. We break rules. Well, I'll have to have like a new host and producer You know in what? Don't place, worry about cause... it. I'm ending the call right now. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. But yes, thank you guys for tuning in with us. I'm so glad that we got through this series and make sure that you share with us everything that you loved and hated and more that you wanted uh from this series so that we can uh share this not only with individuals in our personal lives but around the world we are here to change some lives by the work that we're doing go. in education so and we need everyone's help to do that absolutely make sure you guys um are following us and reaching out via our social media platforms twitter instagram facebook um you can find us at the real solution podcast and on twitter real solution pod um i don't know what she's been tweeting as i say every week but <laughs> i'm sure it's you know manageable. it's all fine it's good <laughs> and, it's for your safety <laughs> um and one more thing i'd love for you guys to um 
leave us a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or whatever your podcast platform of choice is. If you have the ability, leave us a review, share your thoughts, let us know what we can and cannot do to improve or keep going. Um, follow us. Yeah, follow me. Don't follow her. <laughs> if you're on Twitter, it's me. It's follow. It. I will, and I answer to every Twitter. Everything. It's a problem. Well, guys, I thank you for bearing with us this almost two hours, but what a way to end this series. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We will see you all on another episode with something fun from the Real Solution Podcast. Bye, guys. Bye.